close out this series on Providence, Lord willing. But it's been a great series, and it's something the church really needs to understand, Providence. So let's look at uh, two verses out of Genesis 22. And I'm going to talk to you about Abraham. And Providence at work through desperate need. Providence at work through desperate need. Let's stand together for the reading of this word. Uh, Providence says that God's in control no matter how it looks. And don't we need to know that today? Providence is in control. He's working behind the scenes in ways you cannot see. That's what Providence says. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Most of the time, he's not aware of it. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he will not be cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Your steps, my steps, and history is ultimately being guided by the providence of God. Providence being provide uns. And we're going to see how God provided for Abraham today. And let's jump into really the apex of his story. It says, Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. When God provides for you, it can't get away. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, read it with me, the Lord will provide. That's where you find Jehovah Jireh being birthed, right here. That name, God revealing that aspect of his character to us, right here. That he is a provider, Jehovah Jireh. And it says, to this day, it is said. What is it said, everybody? On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, it's coming. Now let's pray together. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today, and we pray that you will mightily bless and speak to us. I pray for those who are in desperate need, that you will touch them, minister to them, answer them, Lord. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell your neighbor, this is going to be good. You better perk up and listen. You're going to need this. I love the Bible. I love the Word of God. I, I love reading it. I really, I pour over it all week long. I'm not trying to sound, uh, you know, holier than thou or pat myself on the back. I do it for food. I love the Word of God because it feeds my faith. And we need to know these stories of Old Testament characters because the Bible tells us in Corinthians that God has given us these stories to teach us. So we're to learn from them. So let's learn about Abraham today. Let me just give you a quick skip through his life. Abram, Abram, before he was Abraham, was 75 years old when the call of God broke through the pagan darkness of his life. He's just like you and me. Where, where were you when God first spoke to you? I guarantee you, you weren't walking in the light. And so here's Abram. He had been raised as a pagan in pagan worship in a polytheistic culture that believed there were many gods, and you could just kind of take your pick which one you wanted to worship. When God spoke to him, he had been living as an unregenerate man. 
steeped in idolatry within a totally idolatrous culture to the natural eye. When you looked at Abram, you said, boy, there's a blessed man. Because even then, the Bible reveals that he was rich. He was married to a beautiful, standout wife. He enjoyed the respect of his peers. And he possessed an incredible lineage. His lineage included Seth, Enoch, Noah, and Shem. So he could look back behind him and say, wow, look at my lineage. But still, he's in pagan darkness. He has not learned of the true and the living God yet. When God spoke to him, he was as we all were. He was a lost sinner on a fast track to a lost eternity. When God spoke to him. Keep in mind, there was no Bible in Abram's day because Moses brought us the first part of the Bible. Moses was still many, many, many years to come. So Abraham had no Bible. He had no Genesis, no Exodus, no New Testament, no nothing. He had none of that. But one day, don't know how, if it was audible or just in his heart, God broke the silence with a call on his life. And God said this to Abram, right out of the blue. Can you imagine this being the first word you hear from God? He said, go. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I'm going to show you. Think about this, everybody. Abram, start walking. You don't know where you're going to end up, but I want you to start walking. That's why the Bible says we walk by faith. We walk. We take steps by faith and not by sight. Because when faith tells us to go, sometimes we don't know where we're going. That is, we don't know the ultimate destination of where we're going to wind up, but we go anyway. He said, I want you to start walking. And I'm going to show you where to go. So every day, he's in a walk of faith. This man takes a step, and he begins to walk in obedience to the Word of God. Amazing. No Bible, no precedent, no fellowship, no other believers with which he could share these things and bounce it off of them to see what they thought. No, God just dealt with him alone. It's amazing. And the Bible makes it clear to us that not only did he set out for an earthly land, God said, I'm going to take you to a place of promise, but he also had it inspired in his heart that we're, I'm also headed to a heavenly place. Because Hebrews eleven sixteen tells us of Abraham that he was longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God was not ashamed to be called his God, for he had prepared a city for him. So Abram said, I know God's got a place for me on earth. He's got a will for me. But I also know that God's got a place for me in eternity. And that the faith and the vision that was birthed in this man's heart was, is stunning for the time period that this happened in. After receiving God's summons to believe by faith, he took his first step of faith and set out in obedience, taking with him his dad, Terah, his wife, Sarah, Lot, his nephew, servants, cattle, and he set out. So watch this, church. Abram's pilgrimage was really just like ours, just like ours, we start out with a vision of a better country. I don't know about you, but when I got saved, I knew that it wasn't just for here. It was for a place called heaven, whose builder and maker is God. 
I knew that Jesus had said, Don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going to come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Yes, God's got good things for us here, but nothing can hold a candle to what he's got for us there. Eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, neither has it entered the heart of men. What God has prepared, built for those who love him. So he set it out, just like we do. How do we set out? Just like he did. God spoke, we believed, faith dawned, new life began. But a second part of God's promise, when he told him, now I want you to go, I want you to go, start walking, he added a promise to it. We call it the Abrahamic covenant. And this Abrahamic covenant, we are feeling the repercussions of it today because of the battle over the land of Israel. What God told Abram when he covenanted with him, Satan has fought to this day. He said to him, uproot yourself, leave your hometown, and here's what I'm going to do. If you do what I'm asking you to do, I'll make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Think about this, church. Every nation on earth is going to be blessed through you and through your descendants. Well, you hear that and you go, okay, for this to happen, i got to have a son. I've got to have descendants. It's just me and Sarah right now. So I've got to have a son. No son, no descendants. No descendants, no worldwide blessing. There had to be descendants. And Abram, believed, they were childless to this point, and Abram believed God was going to bring all this to pass. For, for Abram, it was God's responsibility to bring about what God had promised. His responsibility was to walk by faith. No different from you and me. There's a lot of things God's spoken over your life and mine. Some have happened, some have not. Guess what? It's your responsibility and mine to walk by faith. It's His to bring it to pass. What God has ordered, God will deliver. Abram's walk of faith was a whole lot like the typical journey of the newborn child of God. I was amazed what I found that this man did as soon as he set out on this journey from Ur of the Chaldees, the place of the place of pagan darkness, as soon as he set out, he went to a town called Haran. And look what the Bible says. We find him witnessing. We find him witnessing about the God who has spoken to him. In the town of their first stop, it says, And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered. Now this verse is talking about when they finally left Haran, their first stop, when they left, it says they, they got all their substance and everybody that had come with them. And then it says, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. He had won souls in Haran. And the Bible says so. They went forth to go into the land of Canaan. So he went in with his family, but he came out with many more. Because when he went in there, he, he's talking about the God that has spoken to him. What are you doing here, sir? Oh, I'm following God. Well, what God? Well, the God that spoke to me. He didn't have John 3.16, but he had a testimony. I'm following God, 
And there were people who believed in his God, and he carried souls out with him. Everywhere you and I go, we ought to carry souls out with us. Y'all are quiet today. Hey, if he could do it with no Bible, where does that leave us? Not only was he witnessing, but he was walking. In 12.6 it says, He is walking by faith, taking one step at a time. It says, Abram traveled through the land. As far as the site of the great tree of Moray at Shechem, that means he was walking by faith. His word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. He was taking one step at a time. Catch this, everybody. He doesn't know where he's going. But it says he's walking anyway. He's witnessing as he goes, and he's walking by faith. Witnessing, walking, witnessing, walking. But then it says not only is he witnessing and walking, but it says he's waiting on God to speak to him. It says, at that time the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, now stop for a minute and watch this. He go, he's headed to the land, and all of a sudden he sees these giants, obstacles to the fulfillment of God's promise. And what does he do? Well, he doesn't do what a lot of young believers do. Young believers, I've seen it as a pastor of many years. I've seen people get saved. They start their walk of faith, and when they encounter a giant, they say, well, I didn't know this was in the deal. They see that a church is imperfect or leadership is imperfect. They stumble. They get a little bit of persecution for their walk with Jesus. And they say, nobody told me this was in the deal. I didn't bargain on this. And they stumble and they fall. But this is what Abram did. Abram, Abram built an altar to the Lord and waited on God to speak. And God appeared to him and said, I'm going to give you this land. In other words, God got his eyes off the giant and onto the promise. When he saw the giants in the land, he didn't say, well, I didn't expect this. He didn't say, nobody told me about this. He just built an altar to the Lord. That's what I like about Abraham. Everywhere he went, he built an altar to the Lord, which was a sign of worship and a sign of listening for the word of the Lord everywhere he went. So here he is. He's witnessing. He's walking. And he's worshiping in the very presence of the giants. I like that. You know what drives your giants crazy? When you don't pay any attention to them and you focus on God, and you worship Him. I mean, you just say, you know what? I'm going to worship God no matter how much you threaten me, no matter what you do to me, no matter how you try to take me down. I'm going to build an altar to, the, to God. I'm going to worship Him, and I'm going to wait for Him to speak to me. And believe me, your giants will flee when you worship God. So from there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel, pitched his tent. Bethel means house of God. With Bethel he pitched his tent facing the house of God. Facing the house of God. And that's how he lived. Now watch this. Here's Abram, young Abram, stepping out on a word from God. Walking by faith, not by sight. He's witnessing about God. He's walking with God. He's waiting on God. And he's worshiping the true God. If we can just live that way, say it with me, witnessing about God, walking with God, waiting on God, and worshiping the true God. If we live that way, we're going to grow and nothing's going to stop it. This was Abram's walk. Now, he's going to make some mistakes, and I don't have time today to 
to talk about those mistakes. I'd like to take a whole month on Abraham because he made some mistakes that will make you feel better about you. (laughs) But something that first began as a mild blip on the radar screen of his life eventually turns into a 911. There is no son. There's got to be a son. There's no son. There's no child. Sarah, it says in Genesis 16:1, Sarah, Abram's wife, bore him no children. She was barren, barren. He was 75 years old when God's call came to him. Months begin stretching into years. He knows the promise of God demands descendants or it can't happen. But there's no child. There is no child. There's no son. And at first, this is sort of like, ah, you know, a minor distraction. But as they get older, and he starts wrinkling up, and she starts wrinkling up, and their bodies get older, they start thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, now I've left everything to walk by faith, and God gave me this promise. But there's no child. There's got to be a child. See, nothing can get to you like barrenness. Here's what he could have said. I don't get it. My whole life is blessed. There's fruit all around me. I see the fruitfulness of the blessing of God all around me. But there's no child in this one area. I'm barren. And some of you right now, you've got this, you've got that. You've got some money, you've got a job or whatever it is. You look around you and you can see the hand of God in many areas. But there is that one area where you are barren. And it sort of rises up against you and it it taunts you and it talks to you. And when you wake up in the morning, you think about it. When you go to bed at night, you're thinking about it. How is it that I'm barren when my whole life is blessed? You may be barren in your money. You may be barren in your marriage. You may be barren with your children. You may be barren with some vision that God has given to you. And you know that he has spoken and you see his hand everywhere, but right there, For some reason, there is this yawning, speaking, shouting barrenness. And it tests your faith like nothing else. Let me tell you what barrenness is to God. Barrenness says this. This is what God is saying to you and to me. When you're experiencing a barrenness in your life, and there's no sinful reason for it, there's nothing you're doing wrong, you're walking with God, but there is this barren area, here's what God is saying. In that area, I'm going to teach you what I taught Abraham. I'm going to teach you to lean on me by faith, and I'm going to teach you resurrection power. Because when that barrenness is going to be taken away, when that barrenness is removed, it's not going to be by might. It's not going to be by power. It's not going to be by your methods. It's not going to be by flesh. It's not going to be by something you do. It's going to be by the resurrection power of God where nobody can get the glory but God. Barrenness. See, by now, Abraham and Sarah are past child-conceiving age. And so now they're realizing, well, at least they started to realize if this is going to happen, it's going to have to be a God thing. And God will allow things in our lives, folks, where it's going to have to be a God thing. You look at it and you say, there's no way I'm ever going to have this barrenness settled unless God moves in my life. But don't you know that's exactly what he wants to do? So that when it happens, nobody gets the glory but him. And you can go out and tell everybody, you know what, I was barren, I I had this need, and God touched my life 
with a miracle. And that's exactly where they were. Barrenness can move you if you're not careful to make some bad decisions. You wake up every day and you say, well, where in the world is God? And the devil will use barrenness to talk to you and try to tempt you. He'll say, you know what? It looks to me like God's nowhere on the sea. Or how about this one? Why don't you help God out? Why don't you help God out and you do something about this barrenness? That's exactly what Abraham and Sarah did. As a matter of fact, it was Sarah's idea. She gave him some bad advice. The Bible says after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years. That's how long. 10 years, barrenness, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. But you know what? When you decide to do something about that which only God can touch, and you reach out for a Hagar, and you birth an Ishmael, it solves nothing. Matter of fact, what you've got now is you've got the work of the flesh and the work of the Spirit in the same house. You see, Ishmael was born. Immediately, it says, Hagar began to mock and ridicule Sarah for her barrenness. And then we read in the Bible that as time went by, and Isaac was born and grew up, one day Sarah looked out her window and Ishmael was persecuting and harassing Isaac because, listen, church, here's the principle. The work of the flesh and the work of the Spirit never get along. The work of the flesh and the work of the Spirit only cause trouble. When you think you're going to solve it by reaching out and taking matters into your own hands, instead of solving something, you complicate it. Our world right now is in chaos because of Abraham and Sarah's decision. It says, when Hagar knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress, began to mock her, ridicule her. And the problem was, see, that God's covenant had not been with Abraham and Hagar. God's covenant had been with Sarah. And, and here's the deal. God's covenant was with faith and resurrection power, not flesh. God had said, as for Sarah, your wife, I will bless her, and she will surely bear you a son. I will bless her, that, so she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham and Sarah had done what most of us at one time or another have done. We turn to a work of the flesh. We bring a Hagar into our life. We birth an Ishmael in our life. And instead of helping us, they end up burdening and vexing us. And Abraham learned the hard way. Because one day he had to go to Hagar and he had to go to his own son Ishmael and ask them to leave the house. You know why? Because the work of the Spirit and the work of the flesh can't live in the same house. I mean, catch this, church. The work of the Spirit and the work of the flesh are at odds and they won't get along. And with your life and mine, You'll find the more you go on with God, the more God will say the flesh has got to go. The flesh has got to go. The works of the flesh have got to go. Because I'm wanting to bring forth an Isaac in your life. A work of faith. A work of resurrection. It was an emotionally brutal experience for Abraham. Ishmael, I'm going to miss you. Hagar, I'm going to miss you. That man was a real man. He was a genuine, typical, real man. He was saying goodbye to his son. 
goodbye to a woman by whom he'd had a son. And the Bible is very clear. It was emotionally traumatic for him. It was hard. And it's always hard when you've birthed something in the flesh in your life and God comes to you and says, it's got to go. It hurts. It's not easy. It's crucifixion. It's not easy. I'm telling you the truth. When you bring flesh into your life, something into your life that you know God did not want, the day will come where he'll say, for me to do my work, the work I really want to do, that's got to go. But Lord, I'm attached, I know. But this is going to hurt, I know. But once you've dealt with it, oh, what I'm going to do in your life, you can't imagine. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to, I'm going to make you a blessing. But, but until that can happen, you've got to have the flesh out. It's got to go. So Hagar and Ishmael had to go. And finally, the red-letter day in Abraham's life arrived. What a great day. What an incredible day. It says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Notice the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham. I've tried to imagine this. He's 99. <laughs> She's 89. Can you imagine her coming out of the tent one day and say, Abe, come here, honey. I got something to tell you. Yeah, yeah, what, what's, going, what, what's going on, honey? He said, she said, are you ready for this? I think I'm ready, yeah, well, what, what? I'm pregnant. What? I'm pregnant. I think he whooped like a 99-year-old man has never whooped in all of history. I think he just had a, you know what a benefit is when you have a benefit? You can have a fear fit, you can have a worry fit, you can have an anger fit, or you can have a benefit. He had a benefit. I'm gonna, you know he called all of his servants over. You know, you know. He called all of his servants over. He said, guess what? He patted her little tummy and said, look, I want you, she's pregnant. And don't you know the 89-year-old woman started showing? 89-year-old woman started waddling around. I mean, don't you know that this, and this was not by might, not by power. This was by the resurrection power of God by faith. It was a type and shadow of the miracle birth of Christ. And then the day came he was born. When he was born, they named him Isaac because it made them laugh. Have you ever had God bless you in such a way that it was so incredible that all you could do was laugh? It was so incredible, so unbelievable, so impossible that it just made you laugh. So they named him. Here comes laughter. Come here, laughter. Sit on my lap, laughter. Here's laughter. Not laughing at him. Laughing because of him. Well, that changed everything. Years passed by. Abraham has it all now. There's not any barrenness in his life. His relationship with Isaac is one of joy. Don't you know he loved taking him to the fields? Don't you know he loved teaching him how to handle the cattle, the sheep, the lambs? Don't you know that he loved just talking to him? And at nights when they laid down, he looked at him and said, I, I just can't believe I believe it, but I can't believe it. Here's my son in my old age, the son of faith, the son who's going to bring forth the descendants that are going to bless the world my little boy. 
And Sarah had the stigma of barrenness removed from her. Everything was great until out of the blue. When Isaac is somewhere around his late teens or early 20s, God speaks again and says something Abraham can't believe. Abraham, here I am, he replied. God said, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there. As a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. What? What? This isn't God? Because God promised him to me. He is the gateway to all the blessings that are going to descend from me. God said, take him. Take him to the mountain. Sacrifice him there. After all of God's testing of Abraham through all the years, now comes the final exam, the mother of all tests. Take my boy, my beautiful boy, the love of my life. Sacrifice him. Take him to the land of Moriah. Moriah means foreseen of Jehovah. Jehovah had foreseen this. He should take Isaac to the top of this mountain, lay him down, sacrifice him. Now at this point in Abraham's life, the great drama of Calvary is about to be played out in type and shadow. There's nowhere else in the Old Testament where you see the foreshadowing of the cross and Christ's sacrifice more vividly than right here. Abram brings Isaac to himself, gets a few servants. They start walking. They walk three days. Three-day journey to Mount Moriah. How many of you can understand? And we need to pray right there. Hmm. Let's just pray, everybody, just for a second. Are you Okay. He's okay. All right. Everybody say praise God. Okay. Give the Lord a hand. It's good. So after all God's testing, here he is, taking his son up to Mount Moriah. Now it was a three-day journey to Mount Moriah, and it was three years where Jesus was in ministry before he went up Calvary's mountain. After traveling three full days, it says Abraham lifted up his eyes, and watch this, he saw the place. Everybody say the place. He saw the place. And it says in Luke 23, 33, and when they had come to, that is Jesus, had come to the place, which is called Calvary. There they crucified him. There was a place for Isaac, the place. There was a the place for Jesus. Abraham, when they got to the mountain, he said to the servants, I want you to stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We're going to worship and then watch his faith and then we will come back. Well, wait a minute, Abraham. God told you to sacrifice him. Here's where his faith, faith was. His faith was even if he is sacrificed, 
God will raise him from the dead. We are leaving and we will come back. And we read that Jesus said to Peter, James, and John, same thing, stay here and watch. And he went forward a little bit and fell on the ground and prayed. Isaac went forward alone with his father Abraham. Jesus went forward alone with his father God. Now let me tell you all something. There are some things that you're going to experience in life. Nobody can go with you but you and God. Nobody can go with you but God. And you and him are going to have to work it through. And you and him are going to have to work it out. And you're going to have to walk through it just with him because no one around you will understand what you're experiencing but God. And that's all right because that's where you really grow in your faith when there is no answer and there is no presence but the presence of God the Father. Isaac went alone with Father Abraham and he's a picture of Jesus following the Father to the place of sacrifice. And then next we find Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. Do you catch that? Abraham said, you carry the wood. Isaac took the wood, and he starts carrying it up the mountain. We know that Jesus took the wood of the cross and carried it up the mountain. On the way up, Isaac asked the question, Father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here, Dad, but where is the offering? Where is the lamb? And Abraham answered in total faith. He said, and this is what we've got to say, in a situation that seems impossible, we've got to say with Abraham, God himself will provide the lamb. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know what God's going to do. But I do know that he is Jehovah Jireh. I do know that he is the God of providence. I do know that he won't fail me nor forsake me. And when I don't understand his hand, I'm going to trust his heart. I'm going to trust his integrity his loyalty, his faithfulness, his goodness, his watch care over me. I don't know, son, but that lamb's going to be provided. What awesome faith. He had already concluded that if Isaac died, God would raise him from the dead. When they reached the top of the mountain, Abraham laid the wood on Isaac. On Calvary, through the providence of God, God laid the cross on Jesus. What a day that was as Abraham raised the knife. Here's Isaac. He's looking at him. He knows what's going on. He loves his father. Jesus looked at his father, knew what was going on, loved the father. The knife went up. In Abraham's mind, God will provide himself a lamb. God will provide himself a lamb. And right when the knife was about to come down, God spoke, Abraham, Abraham, don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your only son. The knife was stayed in Abraham's hand because it was not to fall on Isaac. It was to fall on Jesus. Then God's providence. Everybody say providence. 
What he had believed for and trusted for, God's providence moved on his behalf. The Bible says Abraham looked, and, uh, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Can I tell you something here? Watch God's providence. He gave him just what he needed just in time. Just what he needed just in time. I want to speak something to you today. Whatever your need is today, think about that little ram. He's just a normal little ram. He's down at the bottom of the hill. And the providence of God said, start walking. You know, God can tell a ram to start walking towards you. Can I tell you, the ram was their answer, and you've got a ram coming up the other side of the hill for you. I came to speak faith over your life today because some of you think that it's over with. Some of you think there is no answer or that God's not listening to you. But you know that when Abraham was going up that mountain with Isaac at his side, he had no idea that just on the other side, God had already spoken to a ram. The ram was already coming up the other side of the hill, and he was going to get there just in time just what he needed and he looked over and said oh thank God there's the sacrifice they took this ram this ram is now a picture of Jesus they slew the lamb killed the lamb the blood was spilled and don't you know that as Isaac was watching this lamb dying in his place, perishing so that he wouldn't have to, provided by God, God was speaking down through the centuries and saying this to you and to me. When Jesus walked up that hill carrying that wood, looking into the Father's face and allowing his life to be taken, he perished so that we wouldn't have to. God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever put faith in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I believe Isaac wept over that ram. I believe he thanked God over that ram. He did what we ought to do with Jesus every single day. How many of you are glad that He died for your sins and mine? Isn't that right? And the good news is, is when it comes to provision, pro providence, providence. This story shows us that God already knows what we need, and we may not know that it's on the way. We may not see it till it arrives, but I guarantee you that job is coming. I guarantee you that answer from God is coming. I guarantee you what it is in your life that is barren. God knows about it, and God is able to take care of it. We've got to get to the place where we don't freak out and worry about times when we're in need because our God provides. He is the providential provider. He'll bring it just in time, just what we need, just in time, just what we need. God provides. So can you stand with me today? And I know in my heart that many of us here today are experiencing a barrenness of sorts. There is a need. And maybe your need is you've never really known the peace of Jesus Christ in your heart, in your life. Maybe the need is that you've strayed from him and you know that he's calling you home.
But aren't you glad that he's going to bring what you need just in time, just what you need? Father, I pray for this congregation. I pray that, Lord, your power will be manifested in every single life here today. I thank you, Lord, that you are Jehovah Jireh, the providential provider. And you will not leave us barren. And you will not leave us lacking. And you have provided for the greatest need we've got, Lord, the forgiveness of sin. Lord, we thank you for it and we bless you for it right now. And with every head bowed, I want to pray for you today. I really feel impressed in my heart. I want to pray for, and I'm not going to call you down. I want you right where you are. If you can say, Pastor, there's a barrenness in my life. That really I can tell only God is going to be able to take care of this. Can I see your hand? Many, many people. I'd say half this church. See, this word was for you. Sarah was so frustratingly barren. But it's going to come by the resurrection power of the living God. Father, you see the barrenness here. You see the lack. Lord, that's just a signal to seek you, to witness for you, walk with you, wait on you, and worship you like Abram did. And as we do that, Lord, I know the barren areas will experience the touch of God. And that's a word to those of you that raise your hand. Listen carefully. Abram walked, he witnessed, he waited, he worshiped. And as he walked that way, lived life that way, God's blessing covered his whole life with time. And I encourage you, witness, walk, wait, and worship. If you can say, Pastor Jeff, I used to walk with the Lord, but I've gotten away from him. Or I don't know if I've ever had the miracle of being born again from above. And I want this spiritual barrenness in my life to be touched by God. Would you give me the honor of praying with you? I really want to pray for you. You can say, that's me, Pastor. I used to walk with him. I've gotten away. Or I want to know that miracle of Christ living in my heart. Would you raise your hand right where you are? And I want to pray for you. Many, many people. Many people. Many people. Father, I pray, and I want to lead those of you that raise your hand in a prayer right now. Pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus. I believe in my heart you were raised from the dead and I confess with my mouth Jesus Christ is Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord. Guide me from this moment forward in Jesus' name. Now, if you pray that prayer with me, I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to slip out and come and stand in front of me right here. Would you? Well, why do I have to come down there? Because I want to meet you and I want to pray with you one more time. Don't worry about these people. They've all been right where you are. You take one step down here and God's going to meet you and answer you with peace. So I want to ask you to come now. 
already coming. I'm going to wait for it. We're going to sing just a couple of stanzas, and I want you to come. Don't worry about what people think. We've all been there. You come right now. We're going to wait on you. If you prayed that prayer, come now in Jesus' name.